Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. Welcome to School with the Professor, and we really got to dig into the air raid offense of the Arizona Cardinals, and nobody to do it better than Ron Wolfley, who's involved in all the broadcasts and has been doing this for so many years. And so, Ron, first off, how different is this offense from anything that you've seen? Oh, it's different, Johnny. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I wouldn't call it the air raid, though. It's not the air raid. It's more of the pro raid. And the only reason why I say that is because they do use tight ends. <laughs> One of the big components of the air raid offense for the most part is you're going to go five wide. You're going to go four wide, of course, with a, a running back. And they rarely ever use a tight end. Let's put it that way. And um, they use tight ends from time to time here. They used a couple of them, as a matter of fact, last game. And, I just, I just think that's part of the maturation. I think it's part of the maturation of Cliff Kingsbury and the National Football League. Here's here's what I do know about Coach Kingsbury, Johnny. He, he's smart and and he's humble. And I like to bank on people that are smart and humble. And I think he's going to figure it out. And I think that's going to show up as the weeks unfold here. I think it's a learning curve for him early on. But once he gets his bearings, once he figures out the NFL game a little bit here, and I know there's a lot of hardcore NFL people out there that are going to be like, oh, yeah, once he figures out the NFL, how do you ever get the job in the first place? Well, welcome to the new era and the new world of the NFL because this is the way that it's going to go. Whether you like it or not, it's going to go in this play-calling direction of offensive minds like a Cliff Kingsbury, like a Sean McVay, and then bringing in these defensive coordinators to pair up with them, like a Vance Joseph and a Wade Phillips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because again, it's a, you have to figure out a way to try to stop this stuff. But uh, it is it is so different. But you know, I, I still go back. It's not like the air raid pro raid is uh, something that is novel to this league. I mean, go back when the Miami Dolphins uh, traded Wes Welker to the New England Patriots. Well, Bill Belichick had his staff work on uh, what at that time was the air raid stuff at Texas Tech because they wanted to study all the routes that Wes Welker had. And, of course, uh, people thought that Belichick was crazy trading a two and a five. And what ended up happening is using the air raid type of inside routes, you know, Wes Walker and the slot position grew. Yes. No, absolutely. I mean, we, this is the great thing about Bill Belichick. You bring him up, and I just have to riff on him because, as you know, yeah. he was my head coach for two years, 1992-93. I know it's ancient history, but it was the Cleveland Browns. What I absolutely loved about him is the fact, first of all, he was all about do your job. Do your job first. That's all he cared about. Do your job. He, he didn't care about your kids. He didn't try to pretend like he cared about your kids. He just wanted you to do your job. I absolutely love that. I also love the fact that he knew that he needed to be whatever he could possibly be in order to beat you. So, in other words, if that meant he had to use air raid tactics to beat somebody, if he had to go four or five wide to beat somebody because they didn't know how to cover, they didn't have a pass rush, whatever it was, he would be capable of doing that. If he needed to line up in two backs and run the power and run the iso and run the blunt and lower the plow and hit the gas and run the ball, he would find guys that were able to do that as well so that his game plan was always – 
flexible. He would always make adjustments. I can tell you right now, Johnny, on the sideline with Bill Belichick, I can't tell you how many times he'd come over and go, okay, guys, everything we practiced all week, forget about it. Forget we're not doing it. Here's what we're going to do. And you had to be, you had to be with it mentally to get that done. He might look for guys that are seven and eights athletically when the rest of the league is looking for nine and tens. But what he does with those seven and eights is he looks for guys that are 10 mentally guys that can make those kind of adjustments midstream. Right. And I really respected Bill Belichick because of that, but that's to your point, going back to the air raid and some of the things that Tom Brady and Wes Welker, and they're still doing today, as a matter of fact. Yeah. When, uh, when you look at this offense, uh, what are some of the novelties? Because the one thing that uh, it just reminds me of is, uh, and uh, don't hit me for this because I was such a good, uh, he was such a great contact for me and a guy I talked to all the time was Miles Davis. You know, Miles Davis came into the league with a run and yes. shoot. And uh, th- there's a similarity. And I know I was talking to a couple of the de- Seahawks defensive backs, and one of the things that they said is that, uh, and it just really registered, is that uh, uh, I said, who do they put in the slot? Because uh, and then he said, oh, the two best receivers they have, Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk. And I'm saying, that's exactly what they did with the run and shoot. The best receivers were always the inside guys. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Miles Davis, I played against those teams with Warren Moon, of course, right? I played right. against those guys with the run and shoot. And um, no doubt about it. It, it, it. The concepts are very, very similar, I would say to what the air raid is all about. But they did use a tight end from time to time in the run and shoot as well. But listen, this offense is predicated on four wide receivers. It's predicated on throwing the ball an awful lot. There's no doubt about that. I want to say about 70% of the time. I would say probably, knowing that Kyler Murray is not a huge fan of just calling running plays from the huddle, I would say that maybe 80, 85% of the calls that come in from the sideline are running or are passing plays. And of course, Kyler Murray always has the ability to check out of that into an audible. And then of course, there's always the RPO option as well. And they do use those. There's no doubt about it, but this is really about a pocket passer, Kyler Murray. Everyone thinks of Kyler Murray and they think, Johnny, oh, my goodness, here we go. You know, this is Michael Vick. He's going to pull the ball down, and he's going to run. Is he capable of running? There's no doubt about it. As a matter of fact, in the last game, they came out against the Carolina Panthers, and they made a concerted effort in that 14-play drive, the first possession of that game. They made a concerted effort to get Kyler Murray the ball. A couple of zone reads, Johnny, and not only that, he pulled the ball down on a scramble, a quarterback draw as well. They made a concerted effort in this game to get Kyler Murray going with his legs, right? But that's not really who he is. It isn't. It's not who he Michael Vick fought it all the time. He fought himself. He wanted to run the ball more because he knew how explosive he was. I, I talked to Michael Vick about this very thing right on my show. He wanted He wanted to run the ball, right? He wanted to use his legs. Kyler Murray wants to use his arm first. He really does. And the Cardinals have not put any governors on him. They haven't said, hey, listen, you can't run the ball. They they literally refuse to do that because they know it will ruin his approach to the game and his mentality, right? They want him to be aggressive. Now, Kyler Murray 
is about throwing the ball. And that is the biggest thing I have learned about this kid since he's been here. Just watching him. He does not want to run. He's not fighting himself. He's always looking to throw the ball, and I think that's a good thing for him. How have teams tried to defend the five-receiver, four-receiver set? What 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 uh, tactics? Do yeah, it's it's interesting, Johnny. You know, I thought that teams would come after Kyler Murray. I did. I thought, hey, listen, anytime you've got a rookie, <laughs> I don't care what kind of offense you're talking about. I don't care how fast he is. I don't care what kind of explosiveness he has. Anytime you're playing a rookie in the National Football League, for the most part. You get a lot of five-man dogs, of course, and a lot of six-man blitzes. You will bring the blitz, play man across the board on this guy, go after him, right? That's what I thought he was going to see. And it has really been just the opposite. For the most part, it's been a blitz every, I would say, maybe 15 to 18% somewhere in that vicinity where teams have come after him. And yet, of course, they're 30th in sacks per attempt allowed, right? So this last game, I think he really struggled in terms of fighting himself and looking downfield. And instead of looking at coverage, maybe he was looking at the rush. For the first time, he looked like a rookie. Um, But this is a kid who wants to throw the ball first, and teams – have not really been going after them. They've been playing like the Carolina Panthers, perfect example. They played a lot of three-deep zones, four underneath, cover three. They played a lot of quarters, which is four deep, three underneath, rush four, right? They they really haven't dialed it up yet against them. I'm surprised, but at the same time, I guess you could say that it's worked to some degree. Now, that first game, and I know I'm rambling here, but, John, you know I'm a talk show host, and that's what I'm <laughs> going to do. I'm going to go ahead and ramble, and especially a Wolfley. Are you kidding me? We're going to ramble. There's no doubt about it. But you look at the Lions game. For the first three quarters, Kyler Murray really struggled. He struggled in that game. And then he righted the ship in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Midstream, he righted himself and went out and played his best when it mattered the most. That that performance right there and the fact that he brought him back 18 down, tied the game up, right? It ended up in a tie. I cannot tell you the sense of encouragement that was here in the city of Phoenix and really Arizona and with the Cardinals, the encouragement that they felt knowing, aha, he came back in the fourth. He brought us back, tied it up. Now we're doing something right now. Now maybe this is the beginning of something. Then Baltimore, traveling to Baltimore to play the Ravens. And you know, Johnny, how physical the Ravens are. You know how tough the Ravens are, right? What a good team they are. And they went on there, and they had an opportunity on the road against a very physical team and a good team at home. Their home opener, the Baltimore Ravens, by the way, they had the opportunity on their last two possessions that they could have taken the ball down and scored a touchdown, they would have had the lead. Now, again, that doesn't mean they win the game, but they were in that game. They had an opportunity. So once again, you could feel this optimism that was growing. And then they played the Carolina Panthers, and they played Kyle Allen. And Kyle Allen, 
was a guy that actually had a history with Kyler Murray. Interestingly enough, I won't go all the, ba- all the way back to 2015 when they both were at Texas A&M. I won't do that. But just know that Kyle, Kyle Allen at the time beat out Kyler Murray, started the first five games, and led the SEC after five games in passer efficiency. Okay, now that's not the way that it ended. Kyler Murray eventually won the job and took it over. But these guys had a his, uh, history. And here they are actually playing against each other. The Carolina Panthers, no Cam Newton, no Kaywon Short, right? No Bruce Irvin. They were shorthanded. And it just seemed like the Cardinals were flat defensively for the most part. And they, they cannot afford to be flat defensively. And all the air in that balloon, that, that growing balloon of confidence and encouragement seemed to pop. After the Carolina game. What happened with Carolina and the eight sacks? Because now that put him up there the number two sack quarterback in the league. And again, obviously, yeah. uh, the percentages are going to be different just because they throw the ball so much. But uh, what happened right. with the eight sacks? No. Johnny, that's, that's a great question right there because, honestly, Kyler Murray was, they were in the game. It was um, a situation where you had the, the Cardinals moving down. It was 20-17, to 17, the score, right? And Kyler Murray is, is moving the Cardinals down the field. And suddenly there's Trent Sherfield, and he's open. I'm not trying to blame Trent Sherfield. I'm not doing that, Johnny. I mean, you, you don't blame the guy. One play, you lost the game, not because of that one play, but because of a lot of things. I'm just telling you about this play because this is where it went south on Kyler Murray. He threw a ball down the left sideline off a fake wide receiver screen where Trent Sherfield acted like he was going to block and then released down the field. He was wide open. He was wide open. Threw a ball to Trent Sherfield, and he dropped it. He should have caught it, and he would have scored a touchdown, in my opinion. Okay, would have scored a touchdown, and he dropped it. From that point in the game, which was, I believe, late in the third quarter, from that point on, Kyler Murray finished four of eight with two interceptions and five sacks from that point on. So, that was the turning point in that game. I don't, I'm not saying you can draw any conclusions about that. I can just tell you they were in the game. They should have been up 24-21. If, if Trent Sherfield catches a ball right where he had both hands on it, catches that ball, nobody around him, all of a sudden it's a touchdown and it's 24-21 Arizona Cardinals. From that point on, I believe it was the next possession where the Carolina Panthers took the ball, they handed the ball off once, to uh, McAfee, handed the ball off off once for six yards, and then Christian McAfee took it for 76 on the next play. Touchdown, and they never looked back. So where Kyler Murray played so well in the fourth quarter in the first two games, that's where it all went south on him in this third game against the Carolina Panthers because at that point they only had three sacks on the day, and even then Kyler Murray probably should have thrown away 
the ball a little bit more. He's got to learn how to do that. But, boy, in that fourth quarter, when they became one-dimensional, it was – it looked like Josh Rosen. <laughs> Maybe an athletic Josh Rosen right in the pocket, but it kind of looked like that. It looked like 2018 as opposed to 2019. Did you see the one weird stat of this? Uh, this is like, I think, the first time since the 1920s that uh, two quarterbacks under six foot played against each other. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. It, it goes no, back did, way I, long ago. Yeah, I did, no, I did not know that, but I do know this right here. It's so fascinating that here it is. It's the Seattle Seahawks week, mm-hmm. and the Seahawks are coming to town, and we know the recent history between these two teams and we it's amazing to me that Kyler Murray is the number one pick overall and I largely believe he's the number one pick overall in the 2019 draft because of Russell Wilson because of the 510 and 58 when Kyler Murray stepped on the scale and weighed 207 pounds at the combine and stepped up to the tape and was 5'10 and an 8th, not just 5'10, mm-hmm. but 5'10 and an 8th to top it off, people looked at him and they had a comp in the NFL. And that comp was Russell Wilson. I don't know about you, Johnny, but I watched the stuff. I watched the film of Kyler Murray. I watched him at Oklahoma. I had people telling me they stood right next to him and they said, Wolf, if he's 5'9", I'm your father. You know what I mean? And I knew you they knew, I knew they weren't my father. Okay, so you you know, I I I thought he was five eight and a half. And that's the reason why I didn't think he'd ever be drafted as high as he was. But when he stepped up to that tape and was five ten and an eighth, they had a comp. And that comp was Russell Wilson. And here they are getting ready to square off against each other. It's interesting. Curiously, how's David Johnson adjusting to this offense? Because, I mean, clearly one of the highest paid and one of the better backs in the league, and now everything that he's going to be doing if he's running the football is out of shotgun. Yeah, you know, he, listen, I think he's going through an adjustment period right now. Um, David Johnson, there's a lot of talk about David Johnson. I think the injuries have set him back a little bit. I think he's still learning this offense. I think Cliff Kingsbury is learning how he's going to use David Johnson. I think it's a work in progress right now. It's not a finished product at all. David Johnson in this last game ran harder than I've seen him run since all the way back to 2015, as a matter of fact. They handed the ball off on a couple of short-yarded situations and David Johnson put his head down, and I mean ran the ball like he was Jim Brown, uh, stoked it up in there, just jammed it up in there. And that was really, really good to see. Not only that, Johnny scored a touchdown on this throwback, kind of a screen, I would say, a throwback to David Johnson. He grabbed the ball. I don't know if you saw the highlight, but he broke a tackle. Then he juked the guy. Then he put his pads down and stoked it into the end zone, just stretched the ball out, jammed his shoulder pads into the tackler, ran over a guy, touchdown. That's the kind of desperation Steve Kahn wants to see. That's the kind of desperation the Cardinals want to see. And that certainly is the kind of desperation I think David Johnson has got to bring to the field 
it was good seeing that. Hopefully he's going to build off that. But it's still not like the old days. It's still not like 2015. It's still not as productive as 2016, as a matter of fact, right? It's just not the same. And until he starts posting the same numbers, I think people are going to have questions about him. I don't have questions about him. I don't. I think he's got to figure it out. He's got to feel like he's needed. He's got to feel like there's a plan. He's got to feel like, what's my role? And once he understands what that is, David Johnson, I think, is going to look like David Johnson again. Ron Wolfley, it's so good to talk to you here on Schooled with the Professor and uh, looking forward to seeing you in Phoenix and getting ready to see that game between Seattle and the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, you know what, Johnny? Thank you so much, buddy. Look forward to it. Say hello to Pat. I will do that. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.